A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source in Pro Power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The people's podcast has arrived The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. It's gong and glong. It's gong and glong. What's going on 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 on? Mississippi Queen. You know what I mean. Mississippi Queen. You know what I mean. Woo! Yes! Good times. Great tastes here on Talk is Jericho. Jerichoholics, how the hell are you? It's been a great week. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, today on the show, Striper frontman Michael Sweet is coming up. Very, very good guy. Very honest. He's got a brand new book that just came out this week. It's called Honestly, My Life and Striper Revealed. He's got a new solo record, I'm Not Your Suicide. Also came out this week. And guess what? Yours truly, moi, making a guest appearance on I'm Not Your Suicide on a song called Anybody Else. Very killer, cool rock and tune. Plus, Mike is getting ready to tour starting next month. Solo dates, striper dates, so much to talk about. Did you know he also spent a few years singing for Boston after Brad Delp died? Yeah, we'll delve into that as well. Delve into it. Michael Sweet is coming up. But... Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you for checking out the Keep Our Podcast free banner at podcastone.com. I appreciate you taking a moment to check out my sponsors, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to do this for you for free twice a week. So please bookmark it, visit it often. You can even get to my Amazon links that way, and you know we now have Amazon links not just for the USA, but for UK and Canada as well. So please 
Go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page, and then click on Talk is Jericho to find all of my great sponsors ready to roll out the red carpets for you. Okay? So, Michael Sweet is coming. He's coming up. Uh, but what just came up, what just happened the other day, speaking of Delve, is uh, Extreme Rules had Egypt on to make some predictions. And apparently I beat Egypt again with my predictions. I don't remember what they were. I'm sure you do for those of you keeping up at home. Egypt, uh, very confrontational, very abrasive, and apparently not as well, uh, not as good of a, of a predictionalist as I am. Um, extreme rules. The, the, the Rob Van Dam versus Jack Swagger and Cesaro. Uh, not a bad match. I mean, Cesaro is the rising star right now. It was kind of an elimination thing. And... and uh, like I said, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Cesaro. You heard him on my show last week. And I think this was kind of just busy work for him. Give him a good win over RVD, who's, who's looking good. I mean, he's coming back and doing what he always does. But Cesaro is the beast. He's the one that's going to uh, really make a difference in the company upcoming. I, I believe that. So uh, good for him. Uh, and I forgot to mention the WLC match as well with uh, Hornswoggle and Torito. Awesome. Super entertaining and, and good for those guys. They delivered. I don't know if Hornswoggle's ever had a pay-per-view match. I uh, Probably never. And I don't even know how, when the last time was he actually wrestled a, a full match himself. But it worked out really good. They worked hard. I love the uh, the commentators, Micro Cole, JB Elf, and Jerry Smaller. I mean, that's some genius right there. Love it. So they had a mini ref. 3MB came down. They kind of threw everything uh, at the wall. It stuck. Thumbs up to the boys uh, in the Wee LC match. And thumbs up to the writers as well. Wee LC. That is hilarious. Uh, Rusev versus R-Truth and Xavier Woods. Exactly what I said. The less said about this, the better. Rusev still not uh, really convinced that he's got anything. And I think Truth and Xavier Woods' time has come at this point. Big news. Bad news, Barrett. Beating Big E, and they have just given up on Big E completely. I don't really know what the reason for it is. He's got some personality. He's a big guy. He can work okay. But Barrett's the guy who's finally getting the focus put back on him. And my point is, it's about time. I mean, my goodness. Barrett was a stud from the moment he walked in the door. My protege from NXT. I taught him everything he knows, but not everything I know, right? Uh, doing good. Glad to see uh, Barrett finally getting a chance once again. New Intercontinental Champion. And maybe they'll do more with the title this time. But even if they don't, the point that he at least won the match tells me that at least they're going to give him a shot. Uh, lots of vignettes. Bo Dallas looks kind of interesting. Adam Rose. A lot of people are saying, oh, that looks like a Chris Jericho ripoff. No, not a Chris Jericho ripoff. You know why? Because Chris Jericho can't be ripped off, baby. Woo! Often imitated, never duplicated. Y2J. Yeah. Conan posted the top five guys that are marks for themselves according to some poll he did, and I was number three. And I'm like, or number four maybe. I don't know if I'm a mark for myself. I just do a lot of stuff, and I talk about it. So there. Does that make you a mark if you're talking about stuff that you do? If I said I'm the greatest thing ever, well, then I'd be a mark for myself, but I disagree on that one. And it was Evolution and the Shield classic match, one of the best matches of the year so far. And how could it not be? Triple H. Amazing worker, Randy Orton as well. Batista getting back in the groove. And The Shield is on fire! They've been on fire for a while. Uh, really, really killer band. Um, a band of brothers. Great faction. A little bit of controversy about Batista. Is he staying? Is he going? 
the uh, the word on the street is that Vince wanted him to work with Daniel Bryan at the next pay-per-view, and he said, no, I'm not doing it. Who knows, man? Just sit back and enjoy the show. Don't worry about who's working who and who's not working who. Just watch the matches that you're given and like them. John Cena versus Bray Wyatt. Uh, lots of complaints that Wyatt won, but with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, interference, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hey, guess what? That's what happens when you're the top star. You know what I mean? When I beat The Rock at the uh, Royal Rumble back in 2002, I think I beat him with an exposed turnbuckle, ball shot, roll up, foot on the ropes. Like every cheap trick. And I ain't talking about, I want you to want me. Your mommy's all right. Your daddy's all right. It just seems a little bit weird. The dream police. Da na 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 na. The Dream Police. Na, 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 na. That was my little uh, Mike Damone uh, homage from Fast Times at Ridgemont High when he's trying to sell the cheap trick tickets. Um, anyways, yeah, I mean, you're not going to have a heel beat the top guy in the company, and no matter what anybody says, Cena's still the top guy without having lots of dipsy doodles and interference. Uh, a year from now, will it be the case? No, but they're still waiting to see what Bray has got. Still waiting to see how much he's over, and they're taking their time with him. So, yeah, get with it. You got your win, Bray Wyatt. With lots of uh, interference, and the people should not be so angry about that. Paige and Tamina, love Paige. She came to a Fozzie gig when she was like 15. Uh, I believe in Norwich, I think it was. So there you go, long-time Fozzie fan. And any Fozzie fan is okay with me. I'm actually doing this podcast on the tour bus in front of the altar bar in Pittsburgh where we're playing tonight. You're going to hear this podcast after that's done, of course. But this week... May 7th in Lancaster at the Chameleon Club. May 8th, Rochester at the Main Street Armory. Armory, Armory. May 9th in Poughkeepsie at the Chance. May 10th at Hampton Beach, Hampton Beach Casino. May 11th, Clifton, New Jersey at Dig Bats. May 13th, New York City, Gramercy Theater. May 15th for all of our rockers in Chicago, Arlington Heights at the Home Bar. May 16th in Pontiac, Illinois at Freakster's Roadhouse. So uh, come and check us out. We are on fire right now. Fozzie's killing it. Lights go out, taking the country by storm. If you haven't heard it, go on iTunes and hear it now. Buy it and listen to it. Plus, June 14th, main stage at Download. June 12th and June 15th, it's London is Jericho, which is where I'll be doing my spoken word uh, Q&A show, having some fun. One-man show, which means I'm going to be tap dancing I'm going to be spinning pie plates like you used to see on Ed Sullivan. I'm doing all that. So finally, uh, my last uh, review, Daniel Bryan versus Kane. No holds bar match. They fought all over the building. Um, It was not bad. I mean, I think Daniel Bryan and Kane probably could have had a pretty good just straightforward match. But the pay-per-view was called Extreme Rules. So therefore, they did extreme, uh, extreme things. So not bad. I mean, I don't know if that's the best opponent for Daniel Bryan right after he wins the uh, the title. And all this stuff about the flat tire and the car is not working and uh, that they did on Raw with, with Bree and his wife. It just reminded me of, of the Zack Ryder stuff they did last year. So wasn't a huge fan of that either. But overall, Extreme Rules, I'm giving it a, a B plus, And I'm giving the Shield Evolution match A double plus lickety split with cherry on top. Good review. So Michael Sweet is coming up. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. 
You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. On the line right now, one of my best friends on the planet that I hardly ever see, the lead singer and songwriter and sexy guy from Striper, Michael Sweet is on the line. What's going on, my friend? This doesn't sound like Nikki Six. I was supposed to call the Nikki Six. <laughs> dude, how you doing, dude? Good to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you got your lines crossed. I, I kicked Nikki out of the studio and said, I want Michael Sweet first. I know you're an extremely busy guy. I mean, your schedule and just the amount of projects that you have in the last six months is, is, is been crazy. I mean, not only did you release the best striper record in, in two decades in No More Hell to Pay back in November, I believe it is, but you're just getting ready to release not only your new solo record, I'm Not Your Suicide, but also your autobiography, Honestly, My Life and Striper, My Life in Striper Revealed. All of these things coming up at once. How can you keep track of all this stuff, man? I don't know, man. It, 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 to be honest, it's, it's a little overwhelming. I'm all about work, 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 and, yeah. and, and staying as active as you can. But sometimes you can take on too much, and it, it can be a little, uh, you know, uh, disheartening but it's all a good thing i mean i i got i'm working on a lynch sweet album right now i'm recording that i gotta have that done in three days vocally wow and uh and then you know that's coming out sometime soon in the striper <laughs> live album it's it's good stuff man i'm excited and i'm thrilled to be working you well, know and we'll talk about that you mentioned lynch sweets that obviously is george lynch from from docking and so, so many amazing band so you're doing something with george as well we'll get to that later but i was gonna say we i remember i mean we we did a track together for your solo record and that was tracked a couple years ago so this has been in the works for a long time your, your solo record and i know your plan was always to release it in tandem with the autobiography but it's been a long time a long time coming to this point it has been uh, and the reason why the solo album didn't come out sooner is because uh, the book, we wanted to release the book with the album, and the book wasn't done. Mm -hmm. I basically had to uh, rewrite, re-edit, rewrite, re-edit the book, and it, it just took much longer. As you know, you know all yeah. too well, being an author yourself, it, you, you don't do it overnight. You know, It takes time, and that's why the delay, but it's a good thing. I mean, we got it right. Mm -hmm. the album and the book, and I can't wait for people to read it. I know I sent it to you, and you read yeah. it, and, um, you know, it's 
it is, it's my life story, man. And I'm shocked that my life story fit into 239 pages or 289 pages or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great read. And, you know, I remember we talked about this years ago when you were starting to, to kind of inquire about doing a book. And, um, once again, took, took a, a couple of years to kind of find the right home for it. But how, how was it the, the writing process? I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough grind to write a book. I mean, it took, it took me, you know, eight months, 10 months every time, uh, just getting everything accumulated and getting it right. I mean, how, how did you enjoy the process of writing the book? Well, I enjoyed it, uh, so much. I mean, it was just at the end of the day, looking back on it and thinking, my gosh, what it did take is, is really shocking. I mean, basically, I was interviewed by a guy by the name of Doug Van Pelt. Yes. He interviewed me for like 16, 17 hours uh, on and off over a two or three week period. And then he transcribed it, sent it to us. Uh, and then that's when the writing process began. A gentleman by the name of Dave Rose helped mm-hmm. write it. He would help put things together, and then I'd sit there and go over it with the fine-tooth comb. So I don't want people to think that I didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had help writing it, but I certainly had a large part in writing the book. Uh, and, you know, we just went back and forth. We had it edited three times and just changed a lot of things and added things and rewrote things. And it, it I guess sitting on it for two years uh, – it it could have been a good thing. It could have been a bad thing because some of the stories uh, that we didn't add to the book, mm-hmm. you guys might want to read. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was it was really crazy for me to look back on it and think, is this how every book is? Is it really that difficult? Because it was it was quite a, a process. Well, I mean, and you're involved in it, but it's, uh, and I think if you are involved in it, which my opinion was, this is my book, it's my story. I want to have, you know, I want to write every word or be involved every step of the way. A lot of guys yeah. obviously don't do that; they just hand it over to a ghostwriter. But when you want to be involved, it is a hard process, and I think it's hard, just as hard as making a record or making a movie or anything like that. Yeah, no, man. I went through after every time it was changed or edited or whatnot. I went through it every word of every chapter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and made sure that it was my words, made sure that it was me speaking and that it was my story. Because I'm just not into saying, here, here's my story, go write it. I, that doesn't make sense to me. So the book, when you read the book, it's me talking. It's not just someone else talking. Well, I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, I think that the title of the book is tremendous, honestly. I mean, because that's exactly what it is. You don't sugarcoat anything. You don't pull any punches. We were actually laughing. Like in some of the parts, I mean, it's not as bad. But you were saying I'm going to change my name to Michael Sour <laughs> instead of Michael Sweet <laughs> because I mean, you came across completely honest. I mean, there was things throughout your career that you were very happy with. Other things that still kind of get your goat <laughs> to this day. But I love the, the fact that the book was very honest and the fact that you came across. You know, as you should, as you, as a normal guy who happened to have this amazing career, and some of it worked out exactly the way you wanted it to, and some of it didn't. And that's basically the story of all of our lives. There was no sugarcoating to this this book at all. Well, I tried hard. And you know, the working title originally was, honestly, from diapers spelled with the Y to striper and all the crap in between. Okay. <laughs> But uh, you know what, man? Look, I really tried hard not 
to throw anyone under the bus. I've read so many autobiographies yes. from rock stars who just are throwing everyone under the bus and backing up over them 10 times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, my God, do you really hate those people that much? Or, you know, I died 10 times and came back to life 20. Yeah. And it's like, is this, is this real? I wanted the book to be open and honest not exaggerate anything, as boring as something might be to someone, I wanted to just tell the real story. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to hurt Rob, Oz, and Tim, or anyone else for that matter, my mom, in the process. But at the same time, I had to tell the story. Right. Yeah, and keep keep it true. Well, I talk about our bankruptcy and how my mom and, and brother, for the most part, were running the band financially at that time. And that's the truth of the matter. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, you know, and uh, do I blame them completely? No, of course not. But you know, I certainly there, some of the blame certainly falls on them. Of course. Has Has your mom or Rob read the book yet? You know what, Chris? That's a question a lot of people ask me, and um, they have not. Uh, I'm more than willing to send it to them to read, mm-hmm. uh, but they they haven't asked to read it yet. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't want it to turn into a situation where I was getting everyone's opinion or approval to the point of mm-hmm. delaying the book or rewriting history or my story. Yeah. You know, you walk that fine line where you start sending uh, something out to people and they say, hey, I'd like you to change this or change that. And then you're talking about another two or three or four years of, uh, you know, adding to the process. So I just wanted to write from my heart and then, and then now I'm offering everyone to read it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you've read it. Sean Grover's read it. I know Todd Latore has it. Eddie Trunk uh, has it. A number of people are getting back to me with their feedback, and it's been really great to hear people's comments, man. Well, I mean, you mentioned that anytime you you write a book, especially when you've had a partnership for basically your whole musical life or your whole career. I mean, I remember when when Keith Richards' life came out, there were some problems with Mick and Keith and even Paul Stanley's book. There's some stuff in there with Gene and Paul. But you have a lifelong, obviously, relationship with your brother, not just, uh, you know, career wise. The fact that he's your brother also is another thing that, you know, to, to be in a band with somebody for that long. And also he's your family. I mean, that's something that I can see there's going to be great times. There's going to be so-so times, but I'm sure he's still your brother, and that's just the way it goes. Now, let's talk about the early days of Striper when you first joined. You joined Robert's band, basically. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my brother. Yeah. Plain and simple. He gave me an opportunity and a chance. It was his band. I was the punk kid brother. (laughs) You know, melting wax on their amps and doing all this kind of nonsense. And if I was Rob, I probably wouldn't have ever auditioned me. Right. I probably would have said, take a hike, you know. But Rob did, and, and I'm forever and eternally grateful for that. But at the same time, what happened eventually throughout time yeah. is I kind of became right. the leader of the band. Sure. You know, for whatever reason, it wasn't a gun to the head kind of situation. It's just... I I have a little bit more of that type of personality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, take the bull by the horns and just go for it. You know, Rob's a little more passive and a little more, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And that's all good, but I'm not that way. <laughs> right, right. You but- know, and uh, so it's just kind of the roles reversed mm. as we got older. 
Well, and you've seen that in some of the biggest bands ever. I mean, it happened with the Beatles. I mean, you know, Lennon brought McCartney in the band, and then McCartney ended up basically taking it over. Happened in the police as well between Stuart Copeland and Sting, whereas it was Stuart Copeland's band, and then Sting comes in there. And basically, you're you're the main songwriter. You're the lead singer. You're the lead guitar player. So it kind of, I can see how that can kind of happen uh, and cause a little bit of, I don't know if it's resentment or just kind of like, you know, this is supposed to be my band, damn it. <laughs> you know what, man, to be honest... I think it has a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do. I think it has. And um, there's definitely some uh, internal issues in the band, but there are issues that we overcome and that we work through and have gotten through. But, yeah, I mean, there's always been, an, and it's in the book, as you yeah, know. right. There's always been issues with songwriting and royalties and all that kind of stuff. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not, mm-hmm. it's, it's an issue. Sure. Sure, of course. It just is. And, uh, you know, we just try to overcome it. And, and, you know, that's why I split up. I felt so bad at one point because, believe it or not, I've got a, I've got a good heart. I, I, I've got a giving heart. I want to help people and give to people and, uh, you know, help them any way I can. But I, I wound up deciding to, against my attorney's advice, deciding to split the, the uh, royalties up. Oh, since since the band reunited or back in the no, early no, years? No, 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 going back on In God We Trust. Okay. I basically wrote most of the songs on that album, and I split everything up four ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my attorney at the time, Stephen Ashley, said, what are you, crazy? Right. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not, man. I, I really want peace in the band, and I don't want there to be any animosity going on or anything. So I did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they reverted back to the writers. You know, Oz wrote Come to the Everlife. And, uh, but, you know... I've tried over the years to do what's right and do what's best, but sometimes that doesn't always work. You sure, know? Um, sure. But man, I'm I'm the guy in the band that, you know, if the guys are going out jamming and you know Rob's painting drums or whatever, I'm in a corner writing songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I've just always been more of the musical guy, and and that's my passion. And I've always got a song in my head, and I spend most of my time writing songs. Well, let's talk. Uh, How I'm built. You know? Let's talk about you know, kind of the, the, those early days of writing songs and all that stuff. I mean, you guys basically, you know, I know you always kind of you're a very humble guy, but you guys were pioneers in creating an entire craze, basically, of lack of a better word, of Christian heavy metal. Because when you guys first came out, um, there was kind of Christian bands, and, and I was always sort of interested in it. I, I grew up, you know, in the church, but there was never anybody kind of cool. Yeah, and nothing against Petra and the Daniel Band, the Res Band, but they looked like like parents, like the guys in the band. You know, that's just the way it was. They looked like parents, and then suddenly here comes your band. You know, Soldiers Under Command comes out, or even before that, and you got four guys, super long hair. You got a cool look, a cool vibe. You created this whole thing known as Christian metal, basically, but also we're a great rock and roll band as well. And you started that in Los Angeles, basically on the Sunset Strip. Tell us about the journey of how Striper came to be and how Striper decided to take the stand of doing something that nobody had ever really done before. Well, you know, I think sometimes, and I always try to explain this, and some people get it, some people don't, uh, but the fact that I like to describe us as a rock band, that's comprised of Christians. Right. Versus a Christian band that's comprised of rock music. Right, sure. We're, we're not a Christian band. We weren't raised in the church. We weren't brought up in the church. Most Christian bands are literally 
uh, sons or daughters of pastors. Mm-hmm. They're raised in the church. We weren't. We were raised on the strip. Yeah, on the streets, right. And and then we came to know God, and that's the difference between Striper and any other Christian band. I try to explain that, and sometimes it just doesn't go over too well, but we're not ashamed of our Christianity at all. And if we haven't proven that, we're never going to prove that. But we are often very frustrated with being pigeonholed and put in a box and put in the Christian category of all record stores across America. Mm-hmm. Because it, it hurts us. I mean, it keeps us from reaching more people and selling more albums and, and getting the word and the message out there and the music out there to the masses. It just does. Yeah, you get, you kind of get put into a box as that Christian band. But, I mean, let's be honest, though, in the 80s when you first came out, that really did create a whole niche for you guys. It it made you guys stand out from anything else that was it going did, on at the no time. No doubt about it. And, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm not here to complain, or I'm not complaining when I yeah. say those things. I'm, I'm very thankful for what we've been given. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, when we try to get on a tour, we try to get on the KISS tour, Right. And you hear, oh, they pass because you're a Christian band. It gets really old. Yeah, I can see I can see that getting on you. I mean, it's the same thing for us with Fozzie. It's like, oh, you're the wrestling band. It's like it's got nothing to do with wrestling. Exactly. I, I you're happen, a great rock band. And have, you know what? Yeah. Hopefully Striper's proven the point that we're we're a good rock band. And, you know, forget the whole Christian tag and let us come out and open up and, and go on tour with you. And, you know, the audience will be blown away. And we'll change a lot of hearts and minds. But you know what? It just seems more and more difficult for us to get those opportunities mm-hmm. on that level. You know. First of all, how did you come up with the name of Striper? Because I know you used to be called Rock's Regime. Where did Striper come from? Because, is it because you were wearing striped outfits? Well, I tell you, we, were, we basically signed the deal with Enigma Records. Mm-hmm. They didn't know, which is still really baffling to me, but... They didn't know the depth of our Christian stance. Mm -hmm. And when they found out and read the lyrics, we submitted the lyrics, and they found out that we were as bold as all get out in terms of Christianity. They they actually thought about dropping us. Wow. So aside from that, they didn't like the name Rock's Regime, and I was secretly smirking in the corner thinking, yes, there is a God, because I hated that name. <laughs> I, I just, every time someone would say, what's the name of the band? I'd say Rock's Regime. They'd always say, huh? Yeah. I mean, nobody could pronounce it or, you know, it was just yeah. too much of a tongue twister. So Robert started painting everything. Everything was striped. And we started compiling a list of names, and Striper wound up going on the list and wound up being the name. Everybody loved it, and we mm-hmm. went with it. Mm-hmm. We ran with it. Did you remember any of the other names that were on that list that didn't get chosen? Oh, gosh, there were some really bad names, man. But, <laughs> you know, we were at one point called Firestorm. We were uh, called Aftermath. Right. All the uh, na- You know, all those typical... <laughs> cliched names back in 80, 85 or whatever, right? 84. Exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, and then that is that kind of how... So, so Striper was first, and then did the, the costumes come after that with the... The yellow and black. See, I always thought that was really super cool because I remember seeing interviews with Robert Sweet, obviously Robert, and he'd be saying, like, these are caution colors. Don't go to yeah, hell. Yeah. And I was well, like, I oh, you, that's man, awesome. What happened was the yellow and black came before the name. Uh-huh. Okay. So we were way back in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, we were yellow and black mm-hmm. and striped. 
you know, and we were called Rock's Regime, and we were playing Gazaris with Rat and all these bands, and Striper came much later, uh, you know, after we signed with Enigma Records, and then we found the scripture. But um, basically, Rob just started painting his drums and then said, hey, you mind if I tape your guitar? and put Manowar on it, Varnish, and I said, uh, yeah, I kind of <laughs> do, but, you know, <laughs> go ahead. And he did, and, you know, Rob ruined many a guitars. <laughs> Tim's beautiful uh, Music Man bass was one of them, but um, we wound up doing that thing, man, and then it just kind of flourished, and we started striping mic stands and cables, and everything became striped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then where did you find the, the scripture where it was Isaiah 53.5, by his stripes we are healed? Did you scour well, the Bible? Found, that, yeah, that was basically a, a buddy of ours, by the name of Michael Guido, uh-huh. started hanging around. He knew Tim, he was in a band with Tim, and, and when we became Striper, and we dedicated the band to God, Guido was hanging out, and he suggested that Bible scripture, and we thought, that's perfect, hmm. you know, Isaiah 53.5. Uh, the caution, in terms of Robert in the old days saying, you know, caution colors, basically, we were out years ago ripping off uh, road signs. <laughs> you know, we were going and, like, bending these signs over and, and screwing them off and taking them and putting them on our garage walls, man. Just for decorations? Yeah. And, and Rob was <laughs> obsessed with yellow and black and caution mm. and you know it was that was more of rob's thing the whole look sure the music was my thing right yeah he was the image guy and you were the music guy he really was yeah rob you know and and i talk about that in the book too my love hate relationship with the image thing as much as i know it's really you know basically launched the band in many areas in many ways at the same time it frustrates the heck out of me because you don't you don't even know how many times I run into people and they said what band are you in and I say Striper and they say never heard of them mm-hmm. and and then I said a yellow and black oh yeah the Bumblebee guys yeah of course you know <laughs> right and that's what they remember us by which is a good thing and a bad thing yeah well like like you said it's there there's pros and cons and the pros is you'll always be known as that band and people know who you are but it's hard <laughs> exactly. to break free from that right I want the music to be taken serious of course. Know? But see, that's the thing about, about Striper. And like I said, I, I was a, a fan of Striper since 1985. And, you know, I, I want to ask how it was for you. But I know for me, as a Striper fan, in a world where there was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved Maiden and Priest and all those bands. But to go in there where you were listening, some people were listening to Slayer and Venom, and then I'd come in on the other side with, with Striper, it was be- like, and meanwhile, Striper killed Slayer and Venom as musicians. I mean, your guitar playing was amazing, and the harmonies and everything like that. But there was Dude, you're still gonna get, you're going to get some hate mail on that one, man. I, I always have. I don't care. I, that's what I mean. Like, I've always <laughs> kind of stood up for for my, one of my favorite bands and used to like. You talk about an evangelist. I was a Striper evangelist, going into parties with Striper and going, "Listen to this," and like, "Oh, that's, that's awesome." You know man. what I mean? That but, is- <laughs> but I could always turn people because the music, musicianship and the vocals and the, and just the band was so great that even if there was some kind of, uh, you know, uh, prejudice against the Christian lyrics, you could the, right. the band rocked. How was it for you guys starting out and going out into the world? Because you never you never stuck to Christian. You never played, you know, churches or went on tour with White Cross and Baron Cross. You guys were going into the mainstream. How were you accepted at first? We were, man. I mean, we, we've played some churches over the years, but we've always tried our best to stay away from that. Uh-huh. And, and we've taken a lot of heat for that, too, you know? But there's, there's a method to our madness, and that is we want to go to the people and where the people are that need to hear it. Right. 
You know, we like going to bars and playing bars because it's an opportunity for us to to go up and say, hey, you know, and we don't mm-hmm. preach and bang them over the head and say, you know, turn or burn. It's not like that. But it's just we like going out and just, you know, encouraging and sharing with people that aren't going to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, we've got our fair share of negative feedback for that. I mean, uh, we've, you know, we've had protesters for years come out to shows with bullhorns and, and tell people not to go into our shows because we're playing at the local bar or what have you. And mm-hmm. it's just the way it goes, man. It's like, it just seems like no matter what Striper does or how Striper does it, we always get some sort of, uh, of pull in, yeah. in terms of opposition. And you know what? We've learned to accept it, man. It's like, it, it doesn't change who we are or what we do at all. Well, and that's why I've always been a big fan of your band and a big fan of, of you as an individual, because you set your sights on what you're going to do and you didn't care what anybody said because you guys kind of did get caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place because you had the, you know, obviously you had millions of fans that loved the band and got it and understood exactly who Striper was and whether you were a Christian or whether you weren't, it didn't matter. But you also had the people that didn't like your band because you were Christians. And then you also had Christians, which didn't like your band because you were Christians. And that always really bothered me. Like, you're going out there in in, in the front line, and you would have protesters from Christians saying this is like the devil's music or whatever. You know, whatever stupid stuff it was. But it's like, you're, those are the type of people that made Christians look bad to me, not you guys. You know what I mean? I know, man. Well, you know what? One of the biggest protesters of the band over the years was Jimmy Swaggart. Oh, wow. And he used yeah. to send his people out back in the 80s to our shows in big arenas. And, and we'd go out and there'd be 10, 15, 20 people from Jimmy Swaggart Ministries with bullhorns and the local news there. It was a scene. Mm-hmm. And they're telling people they're wolves in sheep's clothing, don't go in, they're fakes, they're phonies, blah, blah, blah. And we used to always go out and say, hey, have you ever seen the man? And nine times out of ten, they'd say, no, we've never seen you. We'd say, well, how can you judge us? Please come in and see the show. Right. And then tell people that we're fakes. Yeah. And, you know, what, what happened, obviously, and I get into this in the book as well, but, you know, Jimmy Swaggart, not long after that, wound up being busted with the prostitute. And, uh, you know, you just you got to be real careful when you judge people yeah. and when you're saying you, 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 because nine times out of ten, it's going to be me, 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 me. Well, yeah, you're you, gonna, you know, all those fingers. What's that old saying? You're pointing a finger and four, three fingers are pointing back at you or whatever. You know? Yeah. Well, especially when you're in the position like like a swagger type thing is. But but, and, you know, and, and, and as every time, you know, somebody goes out and does something new at first, you have all of the haters and the detractors. And then suddenly it gets over and becomes cool. And that's what happened with you guys in 87 when, when, or 86 when To Hell with the Devil came out. Suddenly Striper was the band and, and you kind of gotten over that hump of the Christian thing and became a legitimate MTV superstars. That was, that was a crazy time. I mean, I remember watching for the first time uh, Dial MTV, the, the countdown and, and seeing our video on there up against, I think it was Motley Crue was in the countdown, Poison, mm-hmm. I think Bon Jovi. And I was just sitting there thinking, what? What what is this? Yeah, you know, because we had the no 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 from MTV. Every time we would submit a video, they'd say no because of the Christian element. They they, they never really said that. Okay, but you can only assume that because right. our videos were every bit as good as anybody else's, and your songs were every bit as good as everybody well, else's. I mean, I would like to think so, and, yeah. and it, it's like. And records were selling, and we were packing places out. And for some reason, they just kept saying no, no, no. Well, when they started that contest, it was beautiful. The irony in terms of 
they had no choice but to play us. Well, and for those that don't know, and there's going to be plenty of my listeners that don't even really realize that MTV used to play music videos, people, and they used to have dial MTV, which was basically a request line, and fans would call in and request the the videos they wanted to see, and this was obviously 100% legit, because that's why Striper started getting airplay, because the fans were demanding it, correct? Correct. The fans were demanding, and not just, you know, our small little group of fans calling 100 times a day, but a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. And I I think, I I wish I could have been a fly on the wall behind the scenes at MTV offices of of the shock, (laughs) you know, of those people saying, what the hell? Right. What is this? And I I just thought it was just such a cool time because uh, those doors were not just open, but they were kicked open wide. And it it changed not just music history, but, uh, you know, it, it changed our lives. In a, in a huge way. You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight Every single week between my daughters, this makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Got Michael Sweet on the line, one of my favorite people on the planet and a true inspiration for me. Uh, Actually, I came and saw you guys in Fargo, uh, North Dakota. I grew up in Winnipeg and drove there, brought a couple of my friends, and we went and uh, checked you guys out. You uh, were playing with White Lion, was the opening band. And I actually uh, snuck into the VIP meet and greet afterwards and got pictures (laughs) Got pictures of all you guys and got a Bible too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know you, you've you've told me this story and I think that's so awesome, it's so incredible. And you know, speaking of which, White Lion, that was one of my favorite tours. Obviously, the Loudness TNT tour that we did was probably mm-hmm. top of the list. But White Lion was so great, and what a great band they were. And those were special times, man. That was that was a just a magical, incredible time. And it, it, for me to be talking to you, you know, however many years later, yeah. and to hear this story, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. Well, and like I it said, really I mean, is. with all the trials and tribulations you had with, with, you know, stuff we were talking about earlier, like for my, my journey, you know, as, as a young, young kid, I mentioned this earlier, you know, there was never any real heroes you could have if you wanted to be a Christian and you were a rock guy. And then you guys came out and you looked cool and you played cool. And actually made it, it was okay to get into God. And I got into Jesus and Christianity because of Striper. Like I went to church as a kid with my parents, but didn't really get it. And when 
you guys came out, that's when I really started getting into to getting on fire for for Jesus and for God. And, wow, man! You know, and and like all of us, I've been through different phases, ups and downs. But at that point in time, when I first found found, you know, I could say I became a Christian because of your band. And I'm sure that's, that's amazing, dude. That that really is. And you know what? At the end of the day, we go out on the road and we complain because they don't have enough. Uh, you know, meat on the deli tray, <laughs> right? Or the bread small, like spinal tap, yes. or whatever. Those things really happen. Yeah, they sure and, do. And you know, at the end of the day, though, through all that garbage, when I when I hear a story like that, mm-hmm. that seals the deal. To me, that's like that is why we do what we do, plain and simple. Period. Yeah. And you know, and I meet I meet people who come backstage and say, you know, we were drug addicts, we were drug dealers, we were pimps, we were this, we were that, and now we're pastors. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It just blow I mean the hairs on my arm stand on end and I get chills because it, that is our legacy, you know, not how many albums we sold mm-hmm. or how many gold records I have on my studio wall. Right. Right, right, it, right. It's how many lives were touched and affected in a positive an encouraging way, and that is why we do what we do. Did you kind of get? Um, I'm not going to say sick of, of all of it all, but did it kind of start getting to you after you know, uh, um, in God We Trust came out? Because then Against the Law came out, which was one of my favorite Striper records. But there was a definite uh, a shift in the image, and you talk about it in the book. Uh, and the shift, kind of not in the message, but you guys kind of said, you know, like, did you kind of pull back a bit? from the whole Christian vibe? Were you just sick of all the pressure and always hearing about it? What was the reason yeah, for that? I, I, our actions and what we went through and what we did, you know, we take full responsibility for. We mm-hmm. can't blame anybody. But that being said, we got so much attack from the church, believe it or not, right. that we really we turned on the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, against the law was a big F you to the church. I got you. It really was. I mean, that was our way of saying, yeah, well, screw you. Hmm. We're, we're against you. Gotcha. Against not against the, God, I, not against God, but we're against you, your rules, your regulations, oh, your laws. Gotcha. And that's what the, that was the whole point of that album, and that's why we changed the look. That was another screw you. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're going to do whatever we want to do. So we you, don't care what anyone thinks. That's why we grew beards. Mm-hmm. That's why we didn't smile in the pictures. You kinda... It just went the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And although I think it's a, it's a really good album, musically it's got a lot of cool stuff, unfortunately, we went against everything that we were. So there, the level of hypocrisy is pretty high on that album. In what way? Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're going and recording, and you know, here we are meeting Tom Warman, this legendary producer for the first time, who is looking at us and saying, wow, you guys are Christians, you know, and he actually said that. I can't wait to work with you guys. And then our first day in the recording sessions, we're breaking out wine and booze, and we're drunk at the end of the day. Mm. And he's looking at us saying, I thought you guys were Christians. And we're saying, well, we are. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing against, I'm not saying, you know, it's everybody's own choice and right as a Christian to do what you want to do in terms of alcohol and smoking and stuff. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just saying, you know, we really stumbled a lot of people. Oh, yeah. 
And, and, you know, they viewed us one way, and then because of our actions, they viewed us an entirely different way. And, you know, the Bible's really clear on that, on stumbling people and being poor examples, you mm-hmm. know. And I feel like during that period we were. It's almost like, you know, the, the, the classic story of, of the, you know, the, the pastor's daughter or the Catholic schoolgirls, when they've had it so many times, they just have to break free and rebel a bit to kind of find their way. Totally. You know? That's exactly what we did. We, did. we rebelled big time on that album, and that was all part of the process that got us to where we are now. So I wouldn't go back and change that. Well, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why you finally decided that you had to leave Striper was because of all that. You, you just had had enough of, of, of the whole scene, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I just couldn't deal with it anymore in terms of the guilt. Mm-hmm. My marriage was falling apart. Uh, the band was falling apart. There, was, there were so many things going on, and you know, like I said earlier, the level of hypocrisy was so high. I couldn't carry on that way. The, the slate needed to be wiped clean, and the only way to do that was for the band to dissolve. Now I left, but they tried to continue on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it didn't. It didn't work. Yeah, they had a, a guy called Dale Thompson from from Bride come in there, and it didn't really work out. And then you you kind of mentioned the book too, just as a little bit of a sidetrack. How not that you didn't really care for it, but you didn't really dig a lot of the other Christian metal bands that were going on at the time. I didn't, and nothing against them as people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had a lot of the bands, uh, like Baron Cross, for example. They had some, you know, just listening to them, some really cool qualities, and they had some great songs, and the singer was phenomenal. Obviously, there's no denying the talent there. Right. But then you go see them. And you, you, you see how they're dressed, or you see how they're moving on stage, and you see how they're portraying themselves, and you just think, my God, this is as corny as all get out. And, and, you know, and that's, that's just my opinion. Right. So there was always something, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a joke, Michael Sweet of Striper, the bumblebees of, of rock, <laughs> uh, saying these things about being corny and whatnot, but I just felt like there was always something missing yeah. from almost all Christian bands. Well, and it's interesting, too, how every Christian band had kind of a, a doppelganger sound-wise. Like, White Cross sounded like Rat. Yeah. Baron Cross sounded like why, Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah, and, and the reason why, although no one would ever admit to this, but I was behind the scenes and I literally heard it and saw it over mm-hmm. and over again, they would purposely try to sound like other bands. Hmm. And the labels would purposely want them to sound like Rat. Oh, I see. And like so-and-so, and that's why those stickers would be put on there. That would say, if you like Rat, check this out? Or what would the stickers yeah. say? Yeah, if you like Rat, check out White Cross. Gotcha. If you like Iron Maiden, check out Baron Cross. And, you know, thank God Striper never had a sticker that said, if you like Sticks, check out this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, if you like Van Halen, check. But see, but, <laughs> but, 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 you, but you guys were smart in doing that. We mentioned that earlier. You you, you, you didn't fall, no, no, I didn't want to say fall in the trap, but you didn't allow yourself to be marketed as other Christian bands. You were marketed as a rock band, as a big, legitimate, heavy rock band of what was going on at the time. Um, you left Striper, you went on to, to a very successful solo career, but once again, you were kind of delegated to the Christian market at that time, right off the bat. Because I remember, you know, your first uh, solo record was huge, but it was on a Christian record label. Yeah, totally. I mean, that solo album came out, and on the Christian side, uh, it it was one of the biggest albums of the year. I mean, we won. We had five number one singles, like Christian you know, rock dub- singles, or yeah, Christian yeah. rock singles, yeah. uh, Dove Awards, uh, 
you know, the album sold over 200,000 units. It's huge, which, yeah. Strictly just Christian, that's, that's mega. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really huge. And I, I really pushed the label. They were called Benson. Mm-hmm. And I pushed the president, Jerry Park, at the time, man, you got to get mainstream distribution secured on this album. Right. Because two-thirds of the fans that are going to support this album are mainstream. Because that's Striper's numbers. Two-thirds are mainstream. One-third was Christian. And it's always been that way. Yeah. And I, I pleaded with them, and they did not do that. Had they done that, I think it would have gone gold. Oh, I agree. If you're selling 250 just on the Christian, that would tell you that it would have gone 750 I, I think it would have been just absolutely minimum gold. And, you know, what's really quite an accomplishment with that is Striper's uh, last album, uh, Against the Law, didn't come near that. Wow. And it, at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it Can't Stop the Rock was less than half of those numbers. Yeah, that was the greatest hits record, yeah. So, so I mean, it was, it was quite an accomplishment. And I think everybody was shocked. I think everyone expected it to sell 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 units. And when it did what it did... Nobody knew what to think of it. Everyone was like, "What the heck?" You know. So it was. It felt good. It was. It was a good feeling. You know. Was it? Was it frustrating to you though, not to be able to get it into you know Atlantic Records or Enigma or you know Capital or something like that? Yeah, it was very frustrating. I mean, I shopped a lot of deals. I shopped to a lot of labels at the time, and mm-hmm. I got a lot of no's. Right. And again, I think it comes down to at the end of the day, oh, he's that Christian guy, or oh, he's too old, or he's this or that or that. And, you know, it, it, you just listen to the song, man. You yeah. know, and I'd say that to people. I'm a very upfront guy, and I'd say, if one guy told me you're too old, and I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> I said, you're too old to be running a label. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, what do you mean I'm too old? And meanwhile, that was like 1993 or 4. You were probably not even 30 years old, or if you, if you were, you were yeah. early 30s. Exactly. And you'd exactly. sold millions just, of records. Just listen to the song. Is the song good or is the song bad? Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Now, you, you mentioned Sticks earlier, and you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the early uh, influences of Striper. Now, obviously, I can tell just by your voice that Boston was a big influence on you. And, you know, here you are, I, I know it's a couple of years later on Striper Dory Reformed, but, but, but basically you ended up being the lead singer of Boston. I mean, that is huge on so many different levels. Uh, tell us how that came to be. I mean, it was obviously short-lived, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll tell you why in, in a second. But basically, um, it, my wife, Kyle, who was sick with cancer at the time, it was a very dark time in our lives. Yeah. And it just felt to me like, you know, uh, God wasn't in my life. And, and there were even times when I felt like there there wasn't a God. I was questioning, is there a God? Mm-hmm. And uh I wound up getting a phone call from my manager saying that he got a phone call from Kim Scholes, Tom Scholes' wife, mm-hmm. asking me if I wanted to be a part of what was going to be their last show ever. And it was coming off of the heels of Brad Delp committing suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously I was shocked and floored. I was going to go sing with Sammy Hagar, Ann Wilson, Mickey Thomas, a bunch of people. Right. And they wanted me to sing this song called Higher Power, and I had never heard of it. And I just thought, damn, you know, I'd, I'd love to sing more than a feeling. You know? Yeah, that's right. And, and so basically what happened, long story short, is all these other singers dropped out. Mm-hmm. And I wound up being asked by Tom personally, who called me and said, I just listened to the Striper album for the first time, and I'm blown away. 
uh, would you sing more songs and and basically whatever you want to sing. So I wound up singing Peace of Mind, Rock and Roll Band, More Than a Feeling. Hmm. And it went so well. I learned just the vocals and I walked in there uh, learning the guitar parts too at rehearsals and I I pulled out my guitar and plugged into Brad's rig and went through the songs and Tom was just blown away. Hmm. And he said, this is the best the guitars have ever sounded. Now, coming from Tom, that's wow. quite a compliment. Oh, for sure, know? for sure. So because it went so well, after the show, he came up to me and said, look, this was amazing. We want to do more, and we want you to be a part of it. Hmm. And that was it. Next summer, in 08, I was touring with Boston. Wow, and playing, and not only singing, but playing guitar as well. Like, I mean, how did you figure out what parts you were going to sing? And, like, how was it working for Tom Schultz? Because he's kind of got the reputation, obviously, of being a total genius, but also being, like, kind of the mad scientist of rock and roll in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think Tom is. I think, you know, it's, oddly enough, Tom and I are a lot alike. Mm. Uh, I'm just not as mad scientist as he is. But mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely a perfectionist. I'm OCD. I think. Tom is an extreme perfectionist, too, and, and maybe even OCD. I don't know that for sure, but, you know, he obsesses over stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I get it, because I do, too. Right. You, know, we, you want it to be perfect, and that's how Tom is. And I've just learned over the years how to simplify that a little bit more. And perfect doesn't always mean doing the take 30 times. Right. It might mean only doing it three or four times, and I've learned to accept that. Uh, but, you know, yeah, Tom... I remember there were times at rehearsal, man, when we would go through one song the whole day. Wow. And it wasn't even an A song. And I would, there was one song in particular, I gently said to him, hey, Tom, I I got an idea. And he's like, yeah, Michael, what's that? And I said, what if we just don't do this song? (laughs) And Tom goes, that's a great idea. (laughs) And that was it. You know, over and done with. Now, when you got into Boston, um, I mean, obviously from years of being in Striper, and we talked about earlier about kind of being delegated by some people as, you know, oh, the Christian band. When you got up there with Boston, did you get some kind of like mainstream respect from people that you'd never would have gotten it from if you weren't in Boston? That I don't know, man. Uh I mean, I would think maybe, Mm -hmm. but I don't know for sure. I never personally read anything Right. That led me to believe that. I mean, I do know that I had a tough hill to, to climb when it came to singing those Boston songs because Tom allowed me to sing them like Michael Sweet. Oh, wow. He didn't allow Tommy DiCarlo the to sing the songs like Tommy DiCarlo. Tommy had to sing them like Brad because Tommy sounded like Brad. Right. But he, didn't, he, he let me do my own thing. I mean, literally, I'd sing a song... And completely different. And Tom would say, that was awesome, Mike. And then he'd say to Tommy, Tommy, you need to really go listen to that record. Mm. And you need to sing it just like Brad. <laughs> you know, and it was just so odd. But uh, because I sing them like Michael Sweet, I think sometimes I read some negative reviews of people saying I sound nothing like Brad. And no, I don't really sound like Brad. Well, but know? it doesn't matter because you got respect from the guy that mattered, from the boss. If he's letting you sing the songs like Michael Sweet, he's giving you the... The, the courtesy and the respect of a guy who's been gigging for, you know, 20, 30 years and sold millions of records, whereas the Tommy DiCarlo had never really done much. So that's pretty cool even in that, that Tom was allowing you to just be yourself. He hired it you was, for you. Man. Yeah, it, it was amazing, dude. And, and obviously that was a gift. And, and, you know, Tom and I really hit it off. Mm-hmm. We became 
best of friends. Hmm. And he personally told me that. He said, I don't let many people into my world. You're one of the very few. Wow. And uh, I went to his house and had dinner and lunch, and we'd go watch American Idol with him. And, and <laughs> I would be the guy, he and Kim on days off would like to go and spend it by themselves, and they would call me and invite me. Wow. And I'd go, I'd go hang out with Tom and Kim, and we'd have lunch or dinner, and I flew in his Cessna plane up in front, and he's piloting. And I mean, <laughs> he let me do stuff that he didn't let a lot of other people do. So what was the reason why he decided to leave? You know what, man? I basically got so busy with Striper, mm-hmm. and I realized, you know what? This is going to be a problem. Right. Because I'm going to get a call from Boston to go tour, and I'm not going to be able to, or it's going to present a problem with my guys in Striper. And I just felt like it wouldn't have been fair mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because my first priority, and as it should be, is Striper. Right. So I just felt like, you know what, I got to do something. So I, I went live and announced that I departed Boston. And, you know, the poop hit the fan a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because I, I know management didn't care for that term that I departed Boston. Oh, yeah. uh, and, you know, I got a little slap on the wrist for it, you know, from um, <laughs> from management. And that's all good. Yeah. You know, but um, sure. I, I, can't, I really did. I left the band. So. It was a great experience, though, and, and fun to, to watch you play because you were the rock star in the band, too. You know, Tom is wearing kind of <laughs> volleyball player clothes and you're up there wearing, you know, Michael Sweet clothes. So there's a difference. Now, I, I want, I, we'd be remiss not to talk about, about Kyle. You mentioned uh, your your wife. Uh, who, who passed away from cancer? I met Kyle a few times, and actually, you know, went to your wedding to Lisa as well. But Kyle was the thing I always remembered about her is I, we saw you backstage at a at a WWE show. You brought her along uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. We were talking about the Boston thing, and she was saying, you know, I told him he's got to do this, and she was really sick at the time. I think she was in a little bit of a remission. But was it hard for you to go on the road? I mean, obviously it was, but just how hard was it for you to go on the road and, and play? these tours with Boston. Meanwhile, your wife is at home, you know, kind of this, with this horrible, horrible disease going on, but she was telling you that you got to go do it. It seemed like an impossible feat. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like, what is this? How is this going to happen? This is not going to happen. This mm-hmm. is crazy. I can't go on the road. Right. And she kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And that was basically her gift to me. You know, mm-hmm. she insisted she wouldn't have it any other way. And it, it was very difficult at times. Yeah. You know, when I'd call my daughter and, you know, my daughter would tell me, Alina, that, you know, mom had thrown up, you know, 20 some odd times. Right. And, you know, was being rushed to the hospital and I'm out there getting ready to go on stage. Yeah, being a rock star. But, yeah. Right. You know, it just, it was weird, man. And it, it just, many times I wanted to get on a plane and go home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't allow that. And, you know, I've been blessed twice in my life and number one with Kyle obviously and the type of person she was and is and then my wife Lisa mm-hmm. who is equally if not more so as giving Lisa Lisa's the same way I mean she's so giving and you know she just wants me to be happy and everyone else to be happy to the point where you know she'll she'll exhaust herself mm-hmm. and deplete herself of everything and not even realize it because she wants everyone else to be happy. Right, right. Well, and it's quite a, it's quite a unique trait, and uh, God's blessed me uh, that way, man. And I, you know, I, I don't even but, know 
you, what to say. <laughs> you you knew it right away though because I mean you guys got married re- very quickly after after Kyle passed away. It was a matter of of months, six months or something like that. Well, it was actually Kyle passed away in March, uh, March fifth of oh uh, nine, mm-hmm. and Lisa and I married in January of ten. So it was it was more like uh, okay, so ten almost, months, almost ten months, yeah, yeah like ten, 10 months. months. And I mean, still. According to everyone's time frame here on Earth, that's too soon, right? And I and I get that, but at the same time, the way I looked at it, you know, I talked with Kyle many times about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was her husband of almost twenty three years. We we had our private lives, and we shared, uh, you know, confidentially so many things that nobody else knew. And I knew that she wanted me to be happy and she sure. wanted me to move on. Of course, of course. And, and that's not why I went out. I didn't go out seeking Lisa. Mm-hmm. I just happened to meet someone instantly that was a perfect fit to Michael Sweet. Right. And we fell in love instantly, and, and the rest is history, man. And I still, to this day, uh, get negative comments about that. I lost friends over it. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you did, man. Like... Yeah, well, you know, you've always done things your way, though, man. And you, like you said, you knew it was right, and God knew it was right, so that's all you can do. Well, and, you know, I always say this, too. You know, heaven forbid someone else who is against it goes through what I went through. Yeah. But you know what? You might find yourself in the same position. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to judge that person. Yeah. No, I mean, you... it's not my place to judge. I I I want them to be happy, and I want them to fulfill their destiny here on Earth, as short as it is, and mm-hmm. be happy doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And 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 speaking of 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 the destiny and fulfilling, I mean, Striper gets back together, and you do a couple records, but this last record that you had, No More Hell to Pay, is just an amazing, amazing piece of work. Um, how did you feel about that? How was it received? And how is Striper uh, doing in this day and age at this point in time? Oh, man. Well, you know, just to give you an idea, I mean, compared to the old days, you know, record sales are down, Yes. you know, ten, tenfold, uh, if not more so. So to sell 10,000 copies uh, of an album, it doesn't seem like much, but it, by today's standards, it's pretty amazing. In the first week, right? In the first week, yeah. 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 But- In the first week sales. And, um you know, we basically more than doubled our first week sales comparatively to all the other albums since we reformed. Wow. That's great. Uh, you know, they all did 40, 43, 44, 4,500. This one did almost 10,000 first weeks out. So, I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. You so, know? so do you find that your fan base is, is rallying behind you and is, is, is just as big now as it was? Uh, obviously not, not 30 years ago, but like 10 years ago is the band... Uh, growing? Is there younger fans coming to check out the band? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's the thing about Striper is we have one of the best and strongest core group followings, our fans and our friends around the world, of any band of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, it's happening is there are, we still have a lot of fans out there that don't even know we're, we're back together. Right. And they're finding this out. And that's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But I read the emails and I read the tweets yeah. and I read the posts on Facebook and you know we're slowly but surely getting to all those. Yeah, people. yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, for us because we're in the business, you know, we're looking at blabbermouth every day or we're going online or we're doing this. A lot of people just don't have time to go online and read about rock and roll like we no. do. So it takes a while to get the word out there, you know, like you said. Totally <laughs> true, man. People have real lives, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
But um, I, you know, I think if you found it too. What used to have people, uh, you know, ostracize you or whatever it is, you stuck it out and now have become like this legendary band. Striper's still around and still the pioneers. And I think a lot of people think that it's cool that maybe didn't think Striper was cool before just because you didn't back down. You just kept going through and you're still around making amazing music to this day. You know what, man? I, I said something so similar to that not long ago. And I say it humbly, but yeah, I mean, we were poked fun at and made fun of and whatever back in the day. And then, but you can't argue with the fact that we're still around. That's right. And we're still going. And a lot of these bands aren't, or mm-hmm. if they are, it's not with the original lineup. That's right. Or, you know, they don't sound the same or mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And you know what? You got to give props, whether you believe in the Christian thing or not. You got to give props for that. Or then again, maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, well, I think you're forced at this point. I, I always kind of hearken it back to, to Kiss, like in 1973 or 74. I'm sure when they walked around with the makeup and the costumes on, people were literally howling, like laughing their, their butts off. Like, look at these idiots. What a bunch of losers. And then now, 40 years later, you know, it's the most iconic thing. And anybody that does something new and different will always get laughed at first before people realize, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I tell you, me, man, I would, when the first time I saw Kiss on, t- on television, I wasn't howling. I was peeing my pants because <laughs> I thought they were, it was like watching a horror movie. You know, I thought, yeah. what the heck is this, you know? <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, Kiss, I, I think they still, they're one of those bands. I'd put us in similar categories mm-hmm. in terms of they're one of those bands that kind of gets poked at a lot, too. Yeah, to this day. But you can't argue with what they've achieved. Right. No, exactly. And you can't argue with all the stuff you achieved. Uh, I'm not your suicide. And what was the, uh, what was your mindset in doing another solo record? Well, man, I mean, my solo albums, yeah, I always have a, a song or two on there that's got that striper edge to it, but for the most part, they're really different than striper yeah. albums. I've got a lot of songs on this record that are nothing like anything on a Striper album, and it's a way for me to express myself as an artist mm-hmm. and branch out and stretch out a little bit, and i got to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that, especially as the main songwriter. I'm sure you've got so many songs that you do over the years. It's like, this is a great tune, but it's just not right for Striper. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, maybe someday I'll do my next solo album will, will be something completely different, like a... Right. Yeah, a big band album or a, <laughs> a reggae album, a, a barbershop reggae. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, uh, you mentioned earlier about the George Lynch uh, project. I want to just touch on that quickly. Do you guys have a name for that yet? It's George Lynch, James Lomenzo, Brian Titchy, and Michael Sweet. We don't, dude. And you know what? Maybe you can help me with that. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of threw out Still, which is uh, Sweet, Tishy. Oh yeah, I is silent, uh, Lomenzo and Lynch. But then everyone's saying like, well, all the supergroups do that. You know, they're kind of right. Yeah, I, I'd like to come up with a really cool name, and I haven't thought of one yet. I have to think of something. You can't use Sweet though; that one's already been taken. No, and, and nothing with Lynch or Sweet <laughs> or anything. But I'll tell you this, man. So far, this album takes you back to the seventies. Wow, that's cool. It's not a heavy metal record. It's a it's a classic rock record. It sounds like if you mixed. Foreigner with Bad Company with Journey, mm-hmm. uh, a little Van Halen. That's what you get. Yeah, well, that's and that's all you guys' influences for sure. 
It's really cool, man. And I'm telling you, it sounds like I'm going back in the 70s into a time machine. And, and it just, it's got the coolest vibe. I cannot wait for people to hear it. I think it's going to be very, very cool. well received. Well, I mean, like we said, man, you've got so much stuff going on. You've done so much great stuff. A couple last questions. What is, the, what is your favorite Striper song that you've, uh, that you've written? I know it's impossible to choose, but if you had to choose one or, or two that pop in your head right away, which, which ones are, are do that? Oh, man. In terms of an old song, I would probably say something like, uh, I always dug First Love. Oh, wow. Cool tune. Great you know, solo. I, I've that. always dug that because it's just the, the uh, emotion it has and the mm-hmm. vibe it has. In terms of a new song, I'd probably go with something like uh, Saved by Love. Yeah, and the, from the new record. Or maybe Legacy. You know, something that's, that's got a, a great little edge to it. Yeah, that's a great tune. What song uh, still goes over the best live with your fans? Oh, man. I mean, there's, there's a number of songs. Believe it or not, Calling on You. Oh, well. Hey man, people that... go crazy for that, and I, I get it. Yet, but I don't. Uh, soldiers under command, to hell with the devil, uh, free. You know, there are certain yeah. songs that just people just erupt and explode on, and those are some of them right there. And last question, as far as your guitar solo styles, I mean, uh, I was going to say what's your favorite solo that you've ever played, but you can answer that. But also, too, where did you come up with the idea for those amazing harmony guitar solos that you do, which to me are still some of the best of all time? Striper does that better than almost any other band. You know, personally, and, and just being totally straight up with you, going way back, I never felt like uh, we had the goods comparatively to some of the guys of the time, like mm-hmm. Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen. We, we weren't shredders like that, right. but we could play, and I just felt like we would take it over the top if we did it in harmony. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of, the, some of the, my biggest influences in the in bands that I love had harmonies, like Thin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. You know, I always loved the harmony stuff. It was simple, but so cool. And I just felt like, you know what? Let's do a lot of harmony stuff. And we really got into that and pushed more and more for that, for that very reason. It's great, yeah, especially when, like, songs like The Rock That Makes Me Roll and Reach Out. There's just, like, you know, 16 bars of dual harmony solos. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> it kind of gives us our own thing. It does. You know? It does, man. And Well, Mike, it's great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Michael's book, Honestly, My Life and Striper Revealed and also the solo record, I'm Not Your Suicide, with uh, guest vocals from me on one track. <laughs> yeah, man, you're on anybody else. Yeah. You and Doug Aldrich. I mean, what a great moment for me, man. It's funny because Rich Ward, I tracked it at uh, his studio, the guitar player in Fozzie. He was flipping out that Doug Aldrich was going to be on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, dude, for, for always supporting what we do and what I do, and for having me on the show. I mean, you could have anybody on the show yeah. and you have me and ask me, and I, I don't even know what to say, you know? Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see each other face-to-face one of these days. Whoop. All right, man. See you, Chris. All right, it's time to go to the phones. Earlier on, we put up the number on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho. We want to talk about the new Star Wars movie. The cast was announced. Uh, let's go to uh, get the thoughts from Canada, from Windsor, Ontario. Zach! How you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, first of all, I just want to say my mother has a giant crush on you. Nice. Um, if I didn't say that, she'd probably kill me. Is she a, is she a, a cool mom? Is she a pretty mom? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> she gets a lot of compliments, so I guess there's got to be something there, Woo! right? Woo-hoo! I love it. Tell her I said hi. Yeah. So we're, uh, talking actually, about, we're talking about Star Wars. What, uh, what are your favorite uh, characters, or what comments do you have to make about Star Wars? 
Um, big fan of Darth Vader. You know the whole bad guy thing. You mm-hmm. know, big fan of big fan of him. He's cool. Um, I'm kind of hesitant about the new movie. It's like, okay, um, you've got this big franchise, and it's you know you got a lot of loyal fans. Let's not screw this one up. You know. Well, the one thing that I, I have to to agree with you on that, I wasn't a big fan of the of the you know the last three Star Wars films or the first three, whichever way you want to put it. Right. But this one, I mean, J.J. Abrams took over the Star Trek franchise, and I thought he did a tremendous job, especially with the first one with the reboot. So right. with with him in charge, I don't think it's gonna be. Uh, I don't think it's gonna suck because I think he understands the um, the amount of pressure there is and the the the, the amount of uh, of you know prestige that's that's put into this it's part of our history part of our childhood part of our future and I, that's why i love the fact that disney bought the star wars franchise because now there'll be star wars movies for the next hundred years more, more kind of like the james bond franchise right you know so i'm excited about it because i think jj abrams knows his stuff and i think if anybody's going to do it he's one of the top two or three guys that i would have chosen right and i mean uh disney did a good job with the the Marvel movies that have come out since they bought them too. So I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't them. think they're taking it lightly. When you know, when you're talking about the Star Wars franchise, and there were some real weaknesses in Lucas's last three, but mm-hmm. now that he's given up the reins, I, I think it's a smart idea, and I'm looking forward to it, man. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a great movie, and I'm really excited to see it uh, when it comes out in December of 2015. So thank right. you, Zach. Let's head over to Izzy. Uh, in West Middlesex, Pennsylvania. Hello, Izzy. Hi. Oh, hello. How are you doing? Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. This I, is amazing. I can't believe I'm talking to you. I've been waiting for years to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the name Izzy, I thought that maybe it was going to be a guy, but yeah, I'm glad that it's a girl. What, what is Izzy short for? Um, It's short for Isabella. Isabella. Awesome. Well, Izzy, you are on the show. You're here. What are, you, uh, what are your Star Wars thoughts? Well, I'm definitely, like, completely thrilled that there's a new movie coming out, and, like, I love the fact that Disney took it over, so, like, the franchise won't, like, ever go out. Right. Yeah, we were talking about that they can make movies for years now, uh, no matter who the director is, based on whatever characters they want to they base them on. So I think that was a great idea and a great move from, from both Disney and Lucas. Yeah, it was great. Who's your favorite Star Wars character? Chewbacca. Uh, that sounded more like a horse. Can you do a Chewbacca? Um, I can try. Okay, try. That's not bad. It's better than mine. I'm like the horse version of Chewbacca. He's Chewbacca's cousin who's a horse. Well, I'm yeah. glad you called in, Izzy, and I'm excited to uh, to see the new movie, and I thank you for listening. Thank you so much for taking my call. All right. Well, let's head over to... Wow. We're going across the pond to Melbourne, Australia. This is a first, first time caller from Australia. We've got Christian on the line. Good day, mate. <laughs> How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, man. You're the first person that's ever called us from Australia. It's a, it's a great, uh, a great day here on Talk is Jericho. Well, that's good. Hopefully, I'm not the last. Hopefully, I get through a few more times in future episodes. Oh, it's very cool, man. Very cool. So, um, so what's going on? What are your Star Wars thoughts? Um, similar to your first caller, I'm really kind of on the fence about this new this new movie. Like, it's hard to come up with such a dominant, I don't know how menacing figure as Darth Vader was in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. 
and I think they're really going to struggle to establish someone as a main bad guy. Well, I trust J.J. Abrams, though. I really do. And, and I think, you know, if you want to use the James Bond franchise as an example, you know, the, the Goldfinger is one of the best villains ever. And then, you know, you think, who can ever top that? And then you've got, you know, Ernest Blowfield and all these other great villains that they've had even up until now over the last few years with uh, Javier Bardem and, you know, was, was, was a great villain in the last uh, James Bond franchise. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm trusting the guys that are in control I think they're taking great responsibility and realize just how big of a deal it is to helm the new Star Wars movie and to do a new Star Wars movie. So I bet you that there's going to be some real treats uh, coming up. And plus the fact that Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher are in it. You know, it seems like it's going to be a really cool way to wrap up the story because the Star Wars that I like best are the are the first uh, are the last three. And even though. When I say the last three, it's so, it's so confusing. I'm talking about like Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi are my favorite three. And then they went to, to you know, yeah, then they went to, you know, Phantom Menace and uh, Return of the Sith and, and Attack of the Clones. So we kind of got out of the, the original world and now we can go back into it. And I love the tie in with having, you know, an, an elderly uh, Han Solo and an elderly Luke and Leia. It's going to, right off the bat, I'm, I'm excited just from that standpoint alone to revisit those characters. Again, with J.J. Abrams, uh, there is a lot of pressure to make this new movie really incredible. And I'm thinking maybe they might go a bit over the top. Well, we'll find out. Like I said, J.J. did a great job with Star Trek, and hopefully he does the same with Star Wars. Thanks for calling from all the way down in Australia. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for the calls, and thanks for using my Amazon link every time you do your online shopping. It's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the page, and then click on Talk as Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links, UK, US, and Canada. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free twice a week. There are no extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping on and helping me out in the process. I thank you for helping me out. I thank you for checking out the sponsors. And thanks for coming to join us. I know there's literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts you could listen to. The fact you're here with me, well, it brings a tear to my eye. Brings a tear to your eye. Sweet cherry pie. All right. On Friday... Hockey Hall of Famer, Boston Bruins legend, New York Rangers legend, Phil Esposito will be here. You do not want to miss it. Old-time hockey stories. So stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 